Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Before we get into this week's episode with an incredible homeschool mom of four and artist, I have a very, very exciting announcement. I am so, so excited to share that we have another exhibit in the works. So Maria Coit and I are continuing to run our online exhibition platform, which we have renamed to Play Plus Inspire Gallery. Our first show, titled See Where It Takes You, was an invitational exhibit of work by nine incredible artists that we had connected with previously. The upcoming winter exhibition will be a juried show with the intention of sharing work by a larger number of artists. The guiding theme for this show is change. How are you seeing change? Coping with change? and being a change maker. We would love to be introduced to new artists. All submissions will be considered for both of our social media, podcast interviews, the blog at Curated for Kids, and future opportunities. Artists working in all visual arts media and international artists are invited to apply. Maria and I are both artists, and we face rejection often. Just last week, I got two rejection letters, and it's disappointing, but I know that no one can get into every call that they apply to, so we just have to keep applying. As one way to give back to the artists who apply to our call and are not juried into the exhibit, we've asked our juror to offer feedback on all submissions. That's always one of the most frustrating parts of rejection for me, the not knowing what to improve. Was there something I could do better next time? Or was my work just not quite a fit for this show? So our hope is that we can offer some helpful feedback. We will also be creating several lesson plans based on the themes in the show and on individual works in the show, and will invite accepted artists to create optional brief videos about their process and inspiration. Eight artists will also be invited to do an Instagram Live studio visit. Videos have been such a great teaching tool for me, which is really what we would like to create. Our dream for this space for Play Plus Inspire Gallery is that it showcases and builds up contemporary artists of all experience levels, while also serving as a resource for teaching about contemporary art. We want to share your artwork and inspire young artists. We cannot wait to open this call and see your work. So we are opening the call very, very, very soon, and we'll let you know. Keep an eye on our Instagram, and if you're on the newsletter, you will be getting a special newsletter about the open call. If not, you can join on our website, teachingartistpodcast.com, and follow along on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast. Now, I also mentioned a juror, and it's so hard for me not to share who it is right now because I am super, super excited, but I am holding that back until it's all totally finalized, and that will be coming very soon as well. So I am super excited about this and cannot wait to hopefully see your work and have you share with friends who are artists. So spread the word. There is an amazing open call coming very, very soon. This conversation is actually a little bit of a departure for me because Adrienne is actually not an art educator, but she is really. She is a homeschool mom of four and also an incredible artist who is running her own business as an artist. 
She creates gorgeous paintings, drawings, and paper dolls. It was so helpful for me to hear that she doesn't actually have it all together all the time, despite seeming very put together and successful from the outside. She talked about how she allows herself to not be good at everything all the time, to have times where she is excelling at teaching and motherhood, but not painting, and times where she's making incredible artwork, but her home is a mess and her kids are eating cereal for every meal. Ah, hearing this felt like permission to give myself more grace, to stop trying to do it all. Adrienne paints her daughters and places them in settings in the American South. She talked about how she captures the varied aspects of her children and validates all sides of them as black girls who will become black women in a society that tries to invalidate all of their complexities. It was powerful to hear her talk about it. Adrienne Brown David is a freelance artist living in a small rural town in northern Mississippi. Though she is originally from St. Louis, Adrienne has lived in both Chicago, where she briefly attended the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and the Virgin Islands, before settling in the South. Adrienne is a wife and mother of four daughters, and the experience of motherhood greatly influences her work. Hello, I am here with Adrienne Brown David, and I'm very excited to talk with you. And this is a little different because you are a homeschool mom, not an art teacher in the schools. I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and an amazing artist. But I felt like that perspective was really, really interesting right now. So I always kind of start with just your background, your story. Like, how did you kind of become an artist? And in this case, also, I usually ask, how did you become a teacher? But I'm curious what kind of led you towards homeschooling? I mean, I've always been the kid who made things and drew things and painted on things. And like, that was just how I always spent my time as a kid from preschool on through. So there was never a thought that I would ever do anything else. Like, I think for maybe two years in elementary school, I wanted to be a vet one year and a surgeon the next year. And then I realized I did not like blood <laughs> on me as a person. <laughs> so I think those are the only two years of my life where there was ever a thought that I would be anything other than an artist. And so, I mean, even with that, I didn't really think of it as a career. It was just, this is who I am as a person. Like mm -hmm. I am the artist in the group. And so as far as going in the art, I just never thought about doing anything else. I had other jobs, but like I never identified as anything else. And so I've just sort of done that forever and it's grown and changed and evolved over the years, but it's just always been a part of my identity. As far as homeschooling goes, we currently live in Mississippi, but before we lived in Mississippi, we lived in the Virgin Islands. Mm. And so three of my four kids were born in the Virgin Islands. And so they all spent their young childhood there. Wow. And as far as schools went, we weren't super in love with the school system there. My mom worked at the teacher's union there. She moved down after I moved down. She worked at the teacher's union. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel <laughs> about the school system here. And private school was just super duper expensive. We were really young and living on an island with two kids. And we're just like, we can't afford to put two kids in private school on an island and feed them mm -hmm. and pay for living here. And so I was like, our only other option is to homeschool. And so I left my job and was like, I'll just stay home because it doesn't make sense for me to work specifically to pay tuition and probably still not make enough to pay both of their tuition. So I'll just right. stay home. And so we started there and my now 19 year old at the time was four maybe. And so she was preschool. And so we've just sort of been doing it ever since. We said we'd take it year by year and see what happened. We've since then had two other children and moved back to the States. And now we're in Mississippi, where I'm also not thrilled <laughs> with the public school system here in Mississippi. And so we've just kept going. And so my older girls actually started public school in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And it's not a great public school. They went into it knowing that it wasn't a great public school, but it was really more of like the social aspect 
of schooling more than the quality education that they planned to receive, (laughs) (laughs) which they knew was not going to be what they got. But they were more concerned about the social aspect and Mm -hmm. making new friends and having a broader friend base. And so now I only homeschool my two younger children who are in the sixth grade and eighth grade Mm -hmm. right now. And so they're getting close to going to high school. They are. We thought about sending my eighth grader this year, then coronavirus. And so (laughs) I was like, oh, this clearly is not the, I mean, on top of like all the other reasons we don't love the public school system here on top of like me just being super militant right now about social justice stuff and like Mm -hmm. inequalities in education and knowing that I just, I'm not thrilled with the idea of just like dropping my child into a system that isn't really set up for her. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to let her go because friends, (laughs) but then I was like, you might die. We might die. Right. And I'm really just not interested in any of the other stuff. My sixth grader is like, I'm never going to anybody's school ever. So (laughs) so she's very different. She's very different from her three sisters, all of which who around that age were like, I think it's time for me to start thinking about, you know, maybe going to public school. She's like, no, thank Ah. you. I'm not not interested in any of these classrooms or homework or not being able to go outside when I feel like going outside. Like, I just, Ah. I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah. And with the older kids, have you been sort of like supplementing what they do at school? Because you mentioned it was more for social. Yeah. And so for a while, we did do a lot of supplementing. Mm -hmm. But if anybody's ever tried to make a high school student (laughs) continue school after 3 p.m., that's not already assigned by their teacher, like it is not the easiest. And so most of our supplementing has been like, we continue to travel, we continue to expose them to lots of things, Mm -hmm. we continue to continue to talk about current events, we, you know, continue to be involved in things in our community, like, those are the things that we have to do to supplement as opposed to just, you know, and talking to them regularly when they bring things home that we're just like, you know, that's not 100% accurate or that's like eliminating some very important information about things. Like we talk to them about those things. Yeah. But as far as like, assigning like read more books to read or whatever they would be like mom please get out of my face I'm not, <laughs> not doing that. right and so oh. I feel like we gave them a pretty solid foundation before mm-hmm. we dropped them into the public school system to understand that like not everything that they get in a classroom is going to be accurate not everything that they get in a classroom is going to be complete Not everything that they get in a classroom is going to be unbiased or particularly living here in a very conservative town. A lot of what you get in your classroom is going to be the complete antithesis Mm -hmm. of what we believe as a family. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they knew that going in, I think, helps with the situation. They're really just like, you know, I'm saying what I need to say to get this grade, but I know this isn't isn't facts. And so we kind of go back and forth with that. I'm like, you know, you don't have to just get the grade like you can be truthful and honest there's like you know sometimes it's worth the battle sometimes it isn't so yeah that's so frustrating on one hand but also as and maybe this is not a popular opinion as a teacher but I wish more families would talk about that with their kids and kind of set them up to be critical thinkers like you are Mm -hmm. it's hard like because most of the time you just want you want them to be the nice kid in class and the good kid in class and you don't want your kids teachers to complain about them but honestly unless my kid is being like a huge disruption if they're being rude if they're being disrespectful I'm not the parent to call because my kid is trying to shake up the system. I am not that parent. And a couple of my kids, public school teachers, realized very quickly that I am not that parent. (laughs) Like, you cannot call me because you don't like my kid's opinion of something. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just not... I'm not going to be on your side for that. I'm always going to go to bat for my kids if they are doing something that they believe in, if they're being consistent, if they are not being rude or disrespectful or disrupting anybody else from doing anything, I'm always going to go to bat for them no matter what. And so they've learned really quickly. You do not call me if you don't like my kid's opinion about something. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a conversation y'all need to have 
and don't bring me into it because I'm not going to back you up. So Right. And that's empowering your child in so many ways as well. Yeah. Giving the message to their teacher that, no, you don't need me in this conversation. You can talk directly with yep. this, you know, this 16 year old, 18 year old, however old, like you can, they're old enough to, to, to think, to tell you what they think, of, have beliefs about their own stuff, like and talk and have a conversation. Now, if they're, you know, right. throwing spitballs or something, right. <laughs> give me a call. but if they're like, I'm not going to stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm like, you're lucky my kid even knows the words to the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, don't call me for that. yes yeah well I'm curious also if you have any kind of tips for homeschoolers and I know you know I'm doing I'm like helping my daughter through online kindergarten which is very different from actual homeschooling we're doing the distance learning thing with the public school Mm -hmm. but just more in terms of like how do you manage it all like I'm struggling with just one kid. <laughs> How do you? And so I tell people all the time, I do not manage it all. Like I have lots of things oh, that I have to do. Thank you. Every day. Like I have to teach. I have to work. I have to cook. I have to clean. I have to like get kids to appointments. I have to talk to my husband. I have to breathe and be a human being with my own agenda and own ideas and own thoughts. And I just can't do all of that every day. And so I tell people all the time, I wear a lot of hats, but I can only do two of those things well at a time. And so Mm -hmm. if you need me to be on top of it, as far as being a teacher and a mom, then I probably haven't had a full conversation with my husband in however long. And I probably haven't painted a single thing. If you need me to be prolific as an artist, then I probably haven't cleaned or cooked for anyone in however long. If you need me to be an attentive parent and a loving wife, then I probably haven't painted or fed anybody. Like I really just can't do Mm -hmm. everything. And so I've accepted that sometimes my house is going to be messy. Sometimes my kids are going to watch hours of television. Sometimes they're going to eat cereal for two of the three meals a day. Sometimes I'm not going to get any work done. Sometimes I am not the most amazing wife. Like sometimes I'm just quiet and busy and preoccupied with other things. And all of those things are okay Mm -hmm. because I can't do everything. And if I tried and when I tried to do everything, I was resentful and burnout and things looked cool, but like I was miserable. And so you just can't do everything and no one should try to do everything do what you can and then the other stuff's not going anywhere like (laughs) these dirty dishes will be here tomorrow I can always cook a meal tomorrow these kids can play a game and we can read aloud and have poetry tea time tomorrow like all of those things can happen at some other point they're not going to go away Mm -hmm. and so I don't feel obligated to try and do everything all the time Mm -hmm. eventually everything will get done it just won't all get done at once Mm -hmm. I think that's such valuable advice and so helpful to hear from someone that I feel like I see the artwork that you're producing and it's incredible. And then to hear that you have supported four kids through homeschooling, like it feels from the outside looking in. And I'm sure, you know, maybe somebody would say this about me and I feel like just a hot mess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most of of us are a hot mess all the time. Like do not be fooled. By that little square on Instagram, like that is a like one foot by one foot snippet of everybody's day. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, my kid is sitting here nicely reading a book, but like outside of this one foot square, there are underwear everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) No one has put their laundry away. Like the floor is covered in dog hair because no one has swept today. That little one by one square looks really great, but it's just a tiny snippet of an entire life that's existing Mm -hmm. outside of it. And so like, we're all a hot mess. Like a lot of times just Uh, trying to get through the day. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. I feel like it's just helpful to hear that sometimes. I'm not yeah, the we're only all, one. We're all fine. <laughs> we're, we're all, all doing fine. okay. We're all doing fine. <laughs> oh, with teaching, have did you sort of follow a specific curriculum or did you kind of 
create what you wanted for your kids? I've done a little bit of both. So when I first started out, when my older kids were little, you know, I grew up in the public school system. Like Mm -hmm. I went to a really great public school. It was super well-funded. We had all sorts of opportunities. And so for me, I felt like I needed to recreate that traditional school system at home. Mm -hmm. And after several stressful years of ordering a curriculum and trying to stay on a timeline and returning things to teachers and I was like, this doesn't work for us. I, you know, I had two more kids. I had to do that through pregnancies and births and newborns. And we moved from an island back to the States. And like, I was doing all of that. And I was just like, I can't, I can't maintain that. Like I can't maintain a traditional school setup when I am every component of the school. Like I can't be the teacher, the principal, the school nurse, the cafeteria lady, the bus driver, the janitor. Like I just can't be all of those roles and stick to this strict schedule. Mm -hmm. And so for a few years we did that. And then I was just like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. And so I started creating our own curriculum and figuring out our own timeline. Mm -hmm. And we also started schooling 12 months out of the year, Mm -hmm. just because it made it easier. We don't do that anymore because now I have two in public school and two at home. That's a whole lot harder. But when when they were all home, we schooled for all 12 months because we could take breaks regularly and we could travel and hike and just sleep in for three days if we felt like doing that. And so now I do a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So my oldest one who's homeschooled, my eighth grader is doing an online program. And so I don't have to come up with any of her curriculum at all. It's all there. She logs in. She does her work. It's fine. My sixth grader is a little different. She doesn't love being on the computer all day long. And so she has part of her curriculum. Her history and English are both from a homeschool source. Mm -hmm. And then I create the rest of her curriculum because she has very specific interests Mm -hmm. that, you know, we like to cater to. My eighth grader is just like, let me write the essay and be done (laughs) with with whatever the essay is. Uh And so we use a little bit of everything right now. We're pretty eclectic and we've always been pretty eclectic. But right now it's a balance between completely online homeschool curriculum Mm -hmm. and then partial book curriculum that's from a source and Mm -hmm. then part stuff that I've created and part interest-based and like some nature stuff and like so we use a little bit of everything right now. Wow I love that you're also really sort of tailoring it to what your kids are interested in what they want to do in terms of content but also in terms of like how they're educated. Right so my sixth grader just would not do well with like here's all of your classes on the computer, watch these videos, Mm. you know, take this test. Like she just, she wouldn't do well with that. She likes to draw. She likes to play music. She likes to be outside. She is wild and likes to jump off of things and climb things. Uh. She's really interested in anything like traditional African religions. Like she's Mm. really into Yoruba. She's Mm. 11. (laughs) (laughs) She's into warriors and dragons and fantasy Mm. so she just still in the throes of magical everything childhood but is also super socially conscious which is interesting like more so than anybody else in the house like she's super into like saving the earth and climate change (laughs) she's Mm -hmm. just like She is this whole person who has all of these things just inside of her. And Mm -hmm. so she is not a sit down and write an essay on balancing chemical equations sort of kid. But my eighth grader is just like, I just want to, you know, get the schoolwork done. Whatever is on the on the syllabus, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be done with it. Like, I'm not going to think about it after. I'm not going to. And so (laughs) this works out really well for her. She's very happy with it. She's like, you know, this is fine. I'll log in. Yeah, we don't have to do all this extra stuff. Right. Uh, Such completely different personalities. Very different. I have four completely different personalities Mm -hmm. in my house. Yeah. Uh, And how did you figure out, especially the curriculum pieces that you're really creating? Did you, have you been like, digging into standards, which, you know, I know can have issues. <laughs> like, nope. No, um, I have, I have 
one book it's called the well-trained mind and Mm -hmm. it's for people who want to do like a classical homeschool Mm -hmm. education which we do not do but I really like that it's a a huge source of resources and so the way the well-trained mind is set up is your education is in four-year chunks and so we follow that four-year chunk sort of idea without sticking to the way that they look at education. So our educational system in our house is different, but I like the setup. And I Mm. like the setup that they do history chronologically, which I think is super important. Mm -hmm. So my kids have all done history in four-year chunks chronologically. Mm. And we sort of just stick to that four-year schedule Mm. because it gives me an idea of what we need to work on. And then it gives book lists and all of that. And we can supplement those because I have an idea of what it is we're working on mm-hmm. that year. And so this year, we're not exactly in their regular four-year chunk because I didn't come to the well-trained mind until probably, I want to say maybe my oldest was in the fourth or fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And so we just started from there. And so we are a little off on their scheduling. But, you know, so this year, my sixth grader is doing astronomy. Mm-hmm. And so she's really into that. And she's enjoying that. And then we're doing ancient civilizations, we started with Stone Age people, and so we've moved up. We're in ancient Egypt right now, and she's doing a paper on, you know, the importance of ancient Egyptian gods in everyday mm-hmm. life. And so we just sort of work that way. And so we just started, we started with that mm-hmm. years ago, and we've just kept our own four-year cycle Yeah, since then. Ah. And in terms of, like, I feel like maybe the schedule really affects your art making, but I'm curious if any of the content of what you're teaching, like do the, you know, does thinking about the ancient Egyptian gods work its way into your artwork at all? Does does any of the like homeschool content? I don't think any of our school content works its way into my work. I paint almost exclusively Mm -hmm. my daughters. And so my kids are an integral part of my art. Mm -hmm. I think my our background works its way into our schooling much more than our mm-hmm. schooling works its, works its way into my art. And so I have definitely inundated all of our work with art projects. We paint a lot of things. There's so much, our work is so drawing heavy. Like, yes. <laughs> so my kids who don't love to draw, I think that might be why my eighth grader was like, can we just sign up for something else? Cause I'm tired of drawing <laughs> oh. pictures. <laughs> She's like, mom. Like, and I just write a paper. I just want to write a paper. I don't want to illustrate it. I don't want to do a painting. I just want to write a paper. (laughs) And so, like, we do a lot of art. I do a lot of introducing the girls to artists. And so for the last few years, we have been focusing solely on Black artists because kids in school, like if you're lucky enough to still be in a school that has art, you're going to learn about Picasso and Matisse Mm -hmm. and like all of those people. And none of those people have any connection to my kids. And that means my kids don't have any connection to their work. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to look at art and see it as something other, as opposed to the art being something that's inclusive. And so for the last few years, we've only been looking at Black artists. This year, I decided we were only doing living artists And so I was like, because we travel and every time we travel, I take my kids to museums. They have seen all the art that I love, all the art that I care about, all the art that I don't care about. They've seen Van Gogh's, they've seen Picasso, like they've seen all the work. And so (laughs) this year I was like, we are going to focus on artists who are still alive Mm -hmm. because one, you can see them just anywhere. Like you can see them anywhere. You could run into this person on the street. You can write a letter to this artist And if you're lucky, they may write you back. Like we can drive five hours and see this person's work because they're showing in this place. We can go Mm -hmm. to an artist talk where this person may be talking. Like you can go on social media and see this person's day-to-day life. And so I felt like it was important for them to see that too. Artists aren't just in the past. I know you see that I paint every day. And like we go to shows all the time, but just having an art history study that focuses on people who are not history yet, 
I think is right. super important. Uh, I love that way of framing it too, like focusing on people that are not history yet. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot in education about the idea of windows and mirrors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard that with like I literature. Have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something that like I've been applying in art as well, that, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you want your students, you want your kids to feel represented by right. whatever they're looking at. Whatever they're lo- like, whatever connected. media they're consuming, whether that be mm-hmm. art, books, television, like, oh, that's a person that looks like me or has an experience yeah. like mine or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you have switched, made that switch to look at only living artists too. It's that, been fun. Yeah. <laughs> you have any any artists that you would recommend like any favorites that your kids loved so my youngest loves Kehinde Wiley we have gotten to see a ton of his work just between like we she loves Kehinde Wiley as a living artist but she also loves Basquiat who is her Mm -hmm. favorite like not living artist and so last year maybe two years ago we took a trip to St. Louis because the contemporary art museum there was having a show of some Basquiat pieces and so it just happened at the same time that Kehinde Wiley was having a show at the St. Uh. Louis Art Museum that he did after the Ferguson protests and so mm-hmm. I took all the kids we loaded up the car like we drove to St. Louis specifically for uh. art I'm from St. Louis awesome. so it was an easy drive like I could just uh. go stay with my family but nice <laughs> yeah we took a drive specifically and so they got to walk around and see like the scale of the work and how massive and detailed all of it was. And so like, it was a great trip for my youngest one who was just like, these are my favorite artists. (laughs) Those are her two favorites. She really appreciated getting to see them in person. And I think my teenagers who'd also seen, like they'd seen all of this work before, but I think the enthusiasm of their baby sister and just the scale of the work itself made it all more important or special Mm -hmm. and so those are two two favorites in our house yeah my youngest also really likes amy cheryl Mm -hmm. and so she's gotten to see a few of her pieces in real life too so yeah it's so i feel like it really makes a difference to see any art in person but especially Mm -hmm. when it's so massive like you're talking about scale yeah the the kahinde wiley work was insane (laughs) Yeah. So. Oh, I know. I've showed that in my classrooms and, and kids are a little bit intimidated. They're like, mm-hmm. how, that's not a photo. Like, how did he, right. what? <laughs> <laughs> how'd he do that? Yeah. It's, it's kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, we just talk about how much work goes into that. So not much just, work. Yeah. Like it's not just painting that painting, but it's years and years and years of practice to get there. And the understanding, like, this is a thing that my kids didn't realize about artists, like, artists now and the greats, quote unquote, is that they have a huge teams of people that help them. Mm -hmm. They see Mm -hmm. me painting at home and I'm like, yeah, I paint all my own stuff. I was like, Kehinde Wiley has a crew of people painting those tiny flowers in the background. And like, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's important to know right that these these people do amazing things but they also have a ton of amazing people who also paint right on the paintings <laughs> like his yeah. name's going on the back but you know several other people worked on that background they painted all those tiny details and those flowers by hand mm-hmm. and you know that's something that's been happening with artists for thousands of years and so that was something that they didn't realize about Mm -hmm. you know art over the years is that like not just one person like a lot of times one person does just sit down and do it but sometimes there's a whole team of people that make this painting and one person gets the credit for it because they're the artist but there's lots of artists involved in the creation mm-hmm. of a lot of different work. Yeah. And then that gets into this idea of what is the art? Is it the idea that that, right. you know, the guy that's got his name on it is the one that had the idea? Exactly. What makes, it's like, I don't know. It's like Andy <laughs> yeah. Warhol. Like, I mean, what makes Andy Warhol great? 
<laughs> is it the idea that he had or the execution of the work? Well, if it's the execution of the work, like other people had a hand in the execution right. of that work. Like, why is this work amazing? And mm-hmm. so like, what is that connection between idea and execution? And how does that then become art? And then who owns that? Like who mm-hmm. has ownership over that? Mm-hmm. So all of that gets gets kind of muddy and interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with my husband about it, who is not an artist. Mm-hmm. And I keep, I, one that I kind of point to is Julie Meratu. Mm-hmm works a lot from projections and I've seen like you know I think art 21 has the videos of her and all her like assistants yeah and she's got the assistants like tracing out from the projection and to me that feels I don't know what it is it's like more (laughs) more okay that she's like decided what everything's going to look like and she's made this projection and then they're the ones that just trace it like they do kind of the grunt the grunt labor The entry level. This is your entry level (laughs) job in my studio. (laughs) Like trace this projection. (laughs) I can't wait till I can get to my kids to that level. (laughs) Need you guys to trace this out. (laughs) Yeah, here you go. (laughs) Do they ever, I know they're like the subject of your work. Do they ever jump in and and like make art with you or have a hand in your your artwork? I only have one painting that I let my youngest when she was probably six or seven draw in a corner of because I was like, <laughs> I don't I don't know what's supposed to go here. This is an empty spot. Mm. It doesn't feel done. It was it's a painting of her. Uh, and I was like, I don't I don't know what goes here. Here's a Sharpie. Have at it. <laughs> so I love it. She drew a collection of little things in the bottom corner. And that's really the only one. I think all of my kids get mm-hmm. to a point where they can feel a little intimidated by my work, which also mm-hmm. makes it hard when I'm encouraging them to do things. They're like, I'm not, but I'm not good at drawing that. I'm like, uh. but you don't have to be good at drawing that. Like, and if you want to become good at drawing that, you've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes they expect things to just be right the first time artistically. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's hard for them to break out of it needs to look this way Mm -hmm. and even my kids who like who really love art may not necessarily want to venture into it themselves like they love to look at it they appreciate mine they go to shows they watch art documentaries but when it's time for them to draw they're like "Mm, I don't know I'm not good at that (laughs) right yeah so I don't think if I were to ask any of them to jump in they would be like no way way." they're like sorry mom no mom like you gotta hire an assistant I'll work on your website right I will work on your website I will help you clean up your studio Mm. I will you know take pictures of it for you I'm not putting anything on this piece of canvas (laughs) oh I love that. So no built-in assistance, but I guess, you know, I mean, help, help with the studio and yeah, yeah, the website, and all of that. I run a small business and so they help with, you know, my business stuff. They help me package things and assemble things and get stuff shipped out. And so like they do help in their own ways, but they have their mm-hmm. limitations. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And would you want to talk at all about the business? I always feel like that's interesting for artists, like how you sort of got started and and what how it's going. Well, I have two separate sort of things that I work with. So I have mm-hmm. a small business called Minikin Paper Dolls. And so I... They are amazing. Do, <laughs> I do custom paper dolls and I also do like a a ready-made set Mm -hmm. and the basis is that all kids need a toy that represents them and I started doing them Mm -hmm. when my kids were little because they liked paper dolls and it was virtually impossible to find a paper doll that resembled them in any way shape or form Mm -hmm. and so I just started making my own and so as they got bigger the paper dolls got bigger and so like they started out as the little you know four inch tall paper dolls but they've grown and are now probably 13 inches tall. Wow. Yeah. And so 
what initially happened was there's a group here called the Yakna Patafa Arts Council. And every year they do a community supported artist program where they select a couple of artists. Those artists get a small grant to create like a easily accessible product to maybe pull people in to their more fine artwork that might be a little bigger and a little more expensive. And so I got the CSA grant probably three years ago, three or four years ago. And I used it to start the paper doll business. I designed a set of a set of 12 paper dolls. I got the sets printed out. I got packaging and, you know, logo and started an LLC and all that stuff with my grant. And so it's sort of been slowly building over the years. Mm-hmm. I sold a few the first year. A lot of people bought them as Christmas presents. I done a lot. I did a lot of um, custom ones for people mm-hmm. for Christmas and birthday gifts, which I still do. You know, quite a bit of. I sold a few of the ready-made sets, but then in the last couple of years, a couple of stores have gotten wind of it, and so this year I have dolls in stores in Chicago and Vermont and New Jersey and Brooklyn. And so they're sort of all over. Yeah, that's awesome now. And so that's, that's one, like just, that's the business that my kids will help with. Like my little one assembles because she's got tiny fingers. So she like can put dolls together. They help assemble the, you know, backing boards and package and get stickers on. And so if I have big orders, then everybody in the house is involved in getting those out of the door because each one is hand cut. I print them here at home. I just invested in like a huge printer. And so mm-hmm. I print them all at the house. I cut them all. I hole punch everything. I assemble and cut everything and package everything by hand wow. at home. And so if I have a big order, I need everybody on board to help with that order because I can't. I can't get out 200 paper dolls by myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody's on board when mom has a huge order. And so that's my legit business business. That's not, you know, my art. And so my gallery work is a little different. Mm -hmm. I do, you know, two or three gallery shows a year. I do a lot of commissions right now. I'm swamped under commissions. Uh. Um, And so I do a ton of commissions. That's all I'm going to do for the rest of this year basically is commissions. Mm -hmm. And then I have a solo show coming up at a local gallery here next year. Exciting which means I have to do an entire body of work because I don't have any backlog of work at all right now because I've sold a lot in the last year. Kind of a good problem to have. (laughs) It's a good problem to have. It's a little stressful when I'm like, okay, I know the rest of this year is going to be spent doing commissions. Like I just, I've already, I've already decided that that's what this year is. I will continue to take commissions, but I just know I'm going to be under commissions Mm -hmm. for the rest of the year. And then I have to figure out a gallery show. I mean, I have an idea. I have a plan. Yeah. And I work fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the whole pandemic thing has thrown my ability to create quickly off a little bit. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, I'm trying to get back into like my regular swing of things. Yeah. So fingers crossed. It'll it'll come together. It'll all come together. It always comes together. So yeah, Yeah. I feel like having that faith also helps, like helps it actually come together. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just have to do the work, like just get up and do the work even when I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you, how do commissions come to you now? Is it like word of mouth or? So a lot, it's a lot of word of mouth has happened. A lot of social media has happened. A lot of having gallery shows Mm -hmm. and then meeting people at gallery shows and just sort of going from there. And so it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. My biggest commission right now is with the University of Tennessee. I'm, I'm painting the 12 previous chairs of their health sciences department. And so I have been working on that all year. I think I started the first one in February. So I've been doing them six at a time. And so I, that's been my year long project. It is a lot more work than I initially thought. And so I gave, Mm. I gave myself some grace with the first six, the next six, I was like, I'm just going to need y'all to just let me, (laughs) just let me do these. (laughs) I will get them to you 
in some sort of reasonable time, but I will not be like, oh, sure, I can get these to you in three months, like, because I can't guarantee that I can do that. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to do that. And so like, that's been, that's been the project of 2020, Mm -hmm. basically. And then I have some other things in there. And so I have a couple of people who have bought my art regularly, who have been like, you know, actually, I would like to get a portrait done of my family. And so like, I get commissions that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do sell the majority of my work now mm-hmm. via social media. So Instagram has been great. I have a pretty decent group of patrons on Instagram who buy work and commission work. And so that's pretty much how that's been working. Yeah, that's awesome. And are those usually paintings? Or I know I saw you did like graphite drawings as well that are so detailed and amazing. I usually just do those for myself. Most okay. of the time people request request paintings. Yeah. Um, and so that is the majority of my commission work. I really love graphite. It's mm-hmm. my first love. It is how I started out drawing. As a kid, my mom was not giving me paint. She was just like, you are not going to paint in a house full of beige carpet. Like mm-hmm. I just can't, <laughs> I cannot let it happen. <laughs> so graphite and colored pencil were my first like real art supplies that weren't crayons and markers and whatever and so like once I learned about Prismacolors in later high school I was like these are the best thing ever and so (laughs) for a while I just exclusively did colored pencil drawings Mm. and graphite drawings I didn't actually start really painting until I moved to the Virgin Islands actually and so I would have been 21. And so I've been almost exclusively painting since then. I mean, I still do like line drawings and illustrations and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But as far as the work that I do that I love, like Mm -hmm. that's mostly going to be painting. I still love color pencil. Like I will, I will get down on some color pencil drawings. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, And what's your, what's your sort of process like with the paintings? Do you like sketch it out first So most of my paintings come from photos that I've taken of Mm -hmm. my kids. And so I usually just work directly from the photo Mm -hmm. and they're not all, they're not just transfers of the photos. Like, so the the photos are inspiration. A lot of times the photo and the background, the backgrounds tend to come from just within me somewhere, Mm -hmm. but the kid in the picture is almost always just a candid photo of one of my kids. Yeah. And that is them doing any number of things like being goofy, having an attitude, (laughs) like dancing around in a dress, skating down like that that's always just them like there's a lot of them in my work as far as the subject matter the rest of the work a lot of times comes just from the environment of living in in the south like the the landscape is very specific and people who live in the south or travel in the south or have just driven through the South, recognize those landscapes as Mm -hmm. very specifically Southern. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I like to sort of play with their experiences growing up in the South, because I am not from the South. I mean, unless you're from Chicago or something, because Chicago people think St. Louis is the (laughs) South. St. Louis people are like, this is not the South. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I grew up in the city. My husband grew up in the city. Neither of us have any sort of experience with the type of childhood that our kids have had. Mm -hmm. So our kids have grown up on an island and in the American South. Mm-hmm. And neither of us have any of that. And yeah. so it's been really interesting to watch how different their childhood is than mm-hmm. my childhood was, like how much more freedom they have, how much more space they have, mm-hmm. how much more of a connection to the earth and the land that they have that we just did not have mm-hmm. growing up in the city. Like they know the names of plants and birds and bugs mm-hmm. and like can identify things that you know, we would have never had, cause those things just didn't exist. Like yeah. if you had, you know, you grew up in the city, like there's not wildlife. You've got like <laughs> some pigeons and <laughs> squirrels, maybe <laughs> uh. <laughs> like mosquitoes. There's, uh. not a ton, there's not a ton of, of things. There's not a ton of plants. There's not a ton of wildlife. Like you just, 
aren't going to get any of that. And my kids Mm -hmm. have gotten all of that. And it's been really interesting to just watch them grow in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that sort of thinking about their childhood and how the space they're in affects them. Mm -hmm. Are there other ideas you're playing with there with having that sort of content in your work? I mean, a lot of my work is wanting people to think about how different my kids' childhood is because they're Black, Mm -hmm. but how not different their childhood is. Mm -hmm. Just to humanize my kids as kids. Like, my kids are still going to play in the dirt. They're going to be loud. They're going to be wild. And like, all of those things are not acceptable a lot of times in society when your kid looks like my kid. And so like, I want to present that in a way that's beautiful Mm -hmm. and not something to be judged. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of parents who look like me and whose kids look like mine feel like they have to, they have to present something to the world when it comes to their kids. And it needs to be in a neat package with your hair done and your clothes neat Mm -hmm. and your voice quiet and your body still. And that's not, that's not a part of being a human being all the time. And so like, in order for my kids to be human beings, sometimes they're going to be wild. Sometimes they're going to be loud. Sometimes their hair is not going to be done. Sometimes their clothes are going to be dirty. And like, all of those things are fine because they're living a full life every day. Mm-hmm. My 11 year old has gotten clothes to the point that I can't get them clean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I, just, I cannot, there is nothing that can be done to fix these clothes but what she is doing is being herself and being Mm -hmm. free and living in a way that isn't being controlled by what society thinks she should be doing because of what she looks like and so I want my work to represent all of those facets of being black and brown in America without judgment and sometimes that stuff is beautiful and sometimes it's ugly sometimes Mm -hmm. it's my kid being disrespectful sometimes it's my kid rolling her eyes sometimes like she's got an attitude all of those things are just as valid as being the quiet well-behaved articulate kid Mm -hmm. no sometimes she's big hoop earrings and lip gloss and attitudes and rap music like that's just what it is sometimes and sometimes it's a cute girl with a puffy ponytail and a white dress Mm -hmm. playing in a field And those are all, those are all my kids. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) all those parts are my kid and all of those things are going to come together at some point to be a woman in the world Mm -hmm. who is doing whatever it is that she's going to do in the world. And all of those facets are important Mm -hmm. and all of them are part of who they are. Yeah. And so that's what I want people to gather from the work. It's like, yeah, all of these components of my kids are valid Mm -hmm. and all of them are going to make them into women who are also valid. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are forever going to be valid. And it's not up for discussion or judgment or scrutiny or any of it because they're whole people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that. And it's so powerful for the kids, for the idea that they are growing into these women and you're validating every part of that as well. Now, it's not easy. They get on all of my nerves. (laughs) They're they're kids. (laughs) Because they are kids and they have opinions and ideas and thoughts. And yeah, a lot of times I just want them to wash dishes and not have to have a discussion with me about how washing dishes goes against some sort of workers' rights movement that they have happening in the house. And so, yeah, it's not easy. Like, they get on all the nerves, but, you know, That's they what will... you get for racing. I know. Eventually, they will become full, whole women. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they're already full, whole people, but at some point, they will be full, whole people and women who are not in the house with me. So... Yes. I'm just picturing them like unionizing against you. We will not do dishes. All the time. There's always some sort of like worker strike. Like there's somebody's getting better pay than somebody else, even though nobody's getting paid for anything. (laughs) Yeah. It's a delicate balance. I love it. (laughs) It is. 
Uh, yeah, I have just one, so we won't have that. <laughs> oh, you will. Although I'm sure she'll she'll push my buttons. There won't be a union. There will be no unionizing. <laughs> uh, but there may be there, strikes. There may be strikes. There will probably be strikes. Uh, would you have any sort of tips for other artists that are, you know, I guess I usually ask that are wanting to teach, but artists that are, you know, parents that are really looking at sort of the same things you did saying, I don't know about the school system. I want to work on homeschooling, how to just kind of balance both things. And I mean, I know you talked about that. Yeah. No balance. (laughs) It's not easy, but my main piece of advice, we've been homeschooling for 15 years. And so Mm -hmm. I always tell people, figure out what works for your family. And that's going to look different from every other family because your family looks different from every other family. Mm -hmm. And so if it works for you to get up super early and get started and have a strict schedule, then do that. If that doesn't work for you, like sleep in, have school in your pajamas, you know, make Mm -hmm. it last all day. Like there, there doesn't have to be a eight to three school schedule that just doesn't work Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. And so just understanding that education happens all the time. It's not Mm -hmm. just when you have a book open. It's when you're, you know, having a discussion about things going on in the world. It's when you're cooking dinner together. It's when you are working in the garden, if that's a thing that you do. It's when you're grocery shopping. It's when you are like, all of those things are part of education. And so, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that all of those things are going to be incorporated in your day helps to not feel so constrained in the nine to three school hours, but really Mm -hmm. just doing what works for your family. And a lot of times that's trial and error. You're not going to pull your kids out of school and fall into this perfect, wonderful routine at home where, you know, everybody's happy and everything's going smoothly. Like it takes a couple of years. And even after that couple of years, your kid can change. Your family Mm -hmm. can change. Your ideas can change. Your dynamic can change. And so because all of those things can change, so can your schooling. Your schooling can change too. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is set in stone. If things aren't working, they just aren't working. Like there's no, mm-hmm. there's no need to force something because it feels like what you're supposed to do. Like you get one life, one family, you're not supposed to do anything. Like you do what works mm-hmm. for you. And so mm-hmm. like, that's my main piece of advice. And it doesn't have anything to do with curriculum or time management or schedules or any of that. Like just do what works for you guys. And when Mm -hmm. it stops working, do something different. Yeah. I feel like that's advice on parenting in general is like, figure out what works, change as you need (laughs) to. Yeah. Just do what works and then stop doing it when it stops working. (laughs) Do something else. else. Yes. I did want to ask a little bit about your space and just like your studio space. And then do you have sort of specific schooling spaces as well? So I have a tiny like 10 by 10 studio off of my kitchen. It's the first time I've ever had a studio ever in all of my existence. I have rapidly outgrown it. (laughs) So um, I have... A detached garage that the plan is to turn into a studio space for me, which is five times bigger than the studio that I'm in right now. Yeah. So my contractor just called me and told me that lumber has tripled in price in the last few months. And so whereas we were in the early stages of like, all right, let's get this studio worked on. Now I'm like, I don't want to spend three times what I would normally spend to get this studio worked on. So it's been put on the back burner. So right now I'm still working in my tiny studio off of the kitchen. It's like the pass through between the kitchen and the laundry room, which is interesting. Uh. So there's a constant stream of traffic. Mm -hmm. And so I've sort of trickled out of the studio again and I'm working in our school room. So we do have a school room, which I Mm -hmm. guess 
theoretically in our house would have been maybe a dining room at some point. I'm not really sure. We live mm-hmm. in an old house that has multiple rooms that I don't know what they would have been used for uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at whatever point. And so we use it as a schoolroom. It's big. It's probably twice the size of my studio. And mm-hmm. so I have just brought my work out there so that I can both work and work with my youngest during her school mm-hmm. day. And so our schoolroom is where we keep all of our school stuff. We don't always work in there. Sometimes we're in the living room. Sometimes we're in the kitchen. I've been trying to stay in there recently because I'm also working in there. And so it's just easier mm-hmm. for me to work and answer questions in one room as opposed to like going back and forth through the house. Right. So I do actually have space for both of those things, which has not always been the case. That mm-hmm. has just happened in the last five years since we moved into this house. Before that, I worked at the dining room table. We did school at the dining room table. Everything happened at the dining room table. And so it's nice to have a a separate space, particularly when you Mm -hmm. work with oil paint. (laughs) There's nothing like small children in oil paint. And none of my children are small (laughs) anymore. But yeah, there's nothing like small children in oil paint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, need lots of ventilation. Yeah. And stain remover. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you get that out. You you don't. You just, you You give up on it and you're just like, well, there goes our security deposit. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, we own our house now. So it's (laughs) no more worries. No more worries. But like every apartment, we've been like, there goes the security deposit. Uh. I know. I know. We have, we're in a rented apartment with carpet now. And yeah. my husband just looks over in my area like, oh my goodness. Yep, yep, just <laughs> what go. is happening like, there? Like that security <laughs> deposit, just consider it studio, studio space. That's, yeah. what, that's what that is now. <laughs> oh, yes, totally. So as we kind of wrap up, what are you curious about right now? Hmm. I'm actually most curious these days about like, what the end game looks like for everybody right now. Like what, what does the other side look like for, and I mean that in terms of literally everything, like what what does the other side look like for the majority of us? Yeah. We talk about that a lot. Like we refer to the, anything that happened before March as the before time. And so like, remember yeah. the before time when we like went on vacation and now we're like, what is, what is the after? Like, what's the after look like? Is there an after or is this forever? Yeah. Like what, what is coming? What's happening? And so mm-hmm. that takes up a huge portion of all of my curiosity right now. It's just like, I don't, yeah, I really don't know what the after looks like. Like what comes next? What's the end game? Not to bring everybody down, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking like all the curiosity, all the anxiety. Yeah, all the everything, all the brain space, all of the everything. It's just like, what is the after? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just is just like a really fun kind of silly question. And I've been, so I I usually ask, what's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Mm. And I sometimes feel bad now asking this because I know like we've been super cautious. We haven't been going, like we haven't even done takeout. Yeah, I've gone (laughs) to, I have done two uh, takeout places since all this started only because I personally know the people who own the restaurants. mm And so I know exactly yeah. what they're doing in there. Um, so I do actually still have some favorites from takeout places. Yay. And so there's yeah. a place here called Oxford Canteen that our friend Corbin mm. owns. And they do a roasted chicken market bowl, which is like mm. roast chicken, seasonal vegetables. I think right now it's like sweet potatoes and Brussels sprouts and peppers and something else. And then it's on a bed of like mixed greens on top of mm. brown rice. And then this like lemon herb dressing or something. It is super delicious and filling. It is very hard to eat in the car, which is how I've tried to eat it multiple times. But it is very tasty. (laughs) You're like, I can't wait. (laughs) I'm dying. I'm eating this before I get home. So it's a little messy to eat in the car, but it's worth it if you're in need of tasty chicken and vegetables and whole grains. And it doesn't make you feel Mm -hmm. bad for eating it. 
So that is my favorite mm. currently. Ooh, sounds delicious. Yeah, it's pretty good. I've been relying on my live-in chef partner. He's not actually a chef, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> he's been the one doing a lot of the cooking. <laughs> yeah, we, we've cooked a lot. We have spent so much money on groceries that it is ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm. But we haven't spent money on anything else. So there's that. Right. Like we don't put gas yeah. in the car because we don't go anywhere. Right. We're not shopping because um, who wants to go in a store? So yeah, we spend a lot of money on food. Oh, I can only imagine with four. For, like uh, adult sized people. Like I don't even have right. small children. Everybody, I am officially the third tallest person in my house. Oh. So, and I'm not short. I'm not a short person. So yeah, yeah, I live in a house full of adult sized people. Oh, it's a lot to feed. It is. Is there anyone that you want to thank or give like a shout out to? I actually just like to thank everybody who has been supportive over the last few Mm -hmm. years, because it is very difficult to be an artist, a working artist who is paying bills and raising kids and you know, just trying to exist in a way that is comfortable. It is very, very difficult to do, Mm -hmm. particularly if you don't have another source of income. And so I have been exclusively doing this for probably five years now. And so it has been really great that people have been supportive and sharing my work and buying my work and inviting me to do shows and inviting me to like do workshops with people. And so that's been really great. And I really, really appreciate more than anybody could ever know everybody who's been supportive in even the most minute way. If you're just like, I really love that painting. I'm like, thank you so much. Yes. So from every person who's ever given the tiniest bit of support to people who have, you know, been buying artwork for years, like I am thoroughly appreciative of all of them always, forever mm-hmm. and ever until the end of time. Oh, yes. And I think it's important for for people to hear how much even those little words of encouragement mean. Yeah. Like if you've been like holed up in your studio by yourself just painting mm-hmm. and like painting because you've got to get it out and not even really thinking about what the next step is with that painting when somebody's like oh that's really beautiful like it really touched me I really felt this I'm like oh that's a connection with another person over something that yeah. I've just been like by myself inhaling paint fumes and putting <laughs> this like layer of paint on canvas yeah those connections yeah they mean they mean so much <laughs> and then finally where can listeners connect with you or find you online? I only have one social media platform. I'm on Instagram at Adrian Michelle. Michelle is M-E-S-C-H-E-L-L-E. That is my only social media. I am not anywhere else. <laughs> I have a website. I mean, you can find that on my, on my Instagram also, but that is where mm-hmm. I share all of my stuff. Don't expect it to just be a beautiful glossy page of artwork because I am too lazy is probably not the right word but I'm too something to have multiple pages and so it's all my everything it's art Mm -hmm. it's kids it's homeschool it's everything in one place because that's all I can manage (laughs) yes that's where you can Uh find me that's where I am most of the time. I love that. Thank you. And I will link to all of your your social media and your website as well. Oh. So yeah, thank you so much. This has been just, I feel like really powerful in a lot of ways and helpful to hear more <laughs> about homeschooling and how you don't manage it. (laughs) (laughs) We're not managing it. We're just getting through the day. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Adrian. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.